Hello. We're pleased you've been able to tune in again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. Something about Paul's plan mixing with God's plan for his life enabled Paul to see that circumstances weren't the voice of God the Spirit of God and the Word of God were the voice of God to him. How many times have you said something like, this is going to be the best thing ever, and I'll let you fill in the details. The next question is, how do we approach making something the best? Well, stick around. Tonight, Dr. Corbett launches the best series, not because it's the best he's done, but a series looking at the best for you. It's worth a listen, so let's join him now for the first in the series tonight, The Best Way to Plan. And often at the start of the new year, pastors will uh, give like a vision Sunday. You know, this is what I'm hoping to achieve this year. And, the, you know, the last couple of years has been pretty difficult to do that. And, uh, but there are some things that I'm hoping that we can achieve this year. And not just this year. And I think this is part of the, part of the way we navigate uh, into the future is that we're not just looking for this year, we're, we're looking way beyond. It's my hope that in decades to come that this church becomes a vibrant Christian community, a hub of vibrant Christianity. It's my hope that just as we have done, we see young men and young women raised up who are enabled to go and pastor churches maybe in different parts of Australia or different parts of the world. That would, be, that would be really nice as well. I think in years to come, perhaps in decades to come, it would be appropriate for us to be sowing seed into the ground of the, of the spiritual climate so that we see a continual stream of young people coming through to know Christ, that we see our kids' church full of kids who come to know Christ and the reality of his word, the reality of the power of the Holy Spirit and the reality of a God who hears and answers prayer but also the reality of a God who is worthy of our surrender to him and that we'll see youth gathering and that we'll see youth being able to enjoy healthy fun and activity and that we'll see young people in our community broadly who perhaps were on the brink of despair coming to find hope and answers to life among our young people that our young people in this church in not just this year but this year and decades into the future will be young people who are contagious Christians, that their love for Christ is so infectious it will make this pandemic look like it's not even trying, that we could see something spiritually happen and that in decades, perhaps into centuries down the track, that this congregation that inhabits this building, which probably will be too small by then and There'll be potential expansion in ways that we may not even have dreamt at the moment. That that church, the church of our great-grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren, 
will be a church that knows how to do community. It knows how to celebrate. It knows how to reach out. It knows how to build fraternity and collegiality and brotherhood, sisterhood in our church. And as I was thinking about that through this week, I'm thinking, you know what? I can't see how that could be done without the church of our great-great-grandchildren owning a campsite where families could come and be families and young people could mix with old people. And that's one of the strengths of our church now. It's a part of the, should I say, and I don't like this expression, but I'll use it now. It's part of the DNA of this church. This church has always had a mixture of young people and older people. A mixture of people from the west side of the river and the east side of the river. A mixture of people who as Ali said over communion, who are tradies and those who are white-collar professionals. And I think that is what church is about. It's about taking people from different backgrounds, different experiences, and making us a family. So I pray that for decades to come. I pray that in generations to come, that that will be the case. I pray that there are teens and 20s sitting in this building and in on in our church role right now who will be the elders in our church over the next five to ten years and in 400 years I pray that there is a vibrant Christian witness as a result of what we are doing right now would you join me in prayer father as we commit to you this year we don't just look to December 31 lord we look way beyond we look at the church that our grandchildren will, will claim as their own and our great-grandchildren will claim as their own and their great-grandchildren will claim as their own. That, Father, the candle of the witness of Christ would ever burn in this place and over the years, unlike a natural candle, it will burn taller and brighter for generations to come. May this be a house of healing for many. May this be a house of hope for thousands. May the church of tomorrow and the church of our great-grandchildren be a church that embraces technology all to the glory of God and reaches people that we never thought possible to reach. I pray for this in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Today, I'm going to be preaching, starting to preach my best sermon series. And you're privileged today to hear it. That might sound rather cocky and arrogant, which for many of you is like, yeah, all same old, same old. Most of what I say sounds cocky and arrogant. But I actually want to change the intonation of what we're hearing it's not that this will be the best sermon series I've ever done or that I could ever do the best sermon series it's about how we can give God our best and do our best for him so with with that in mind I want over these next five Sundays of this month to look at ways that we can live to the glory of God and give him glory so these messages will be starting off with the best plan 
the best plan, how we can rediscover the wisdom of God and his word for our best, for our best. I'm going to anchor this, if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 16, in the story of Paul in Acts chapter 16, and over the last couple of years I've particularly been studying the life of Paul, and I'm rather impressed with this bloke. I, I have come to uh, see him as someone who has been greatly misunderstood, someone whom women find obnoxious but really did more for women's rights apart from Jesus Christ than just about anyone else in history and that Paul was someone rather than being the aloof cold hearted man that some people have the perception of him being when you look at the record he nearly always travelled, with perhaps one possible exception, he nearly always travelled with a team of people. In fact, as he got older, that team grew, not diminished. And in his early, headier days, when he had that Barney with Barnabas over John Mark and whether John Mark should accompany them or not on their next missions venture because he bailed on them in their first and Paul said no way and Barnabas which was not his name his name was Joseph but he was nicknamed Barnabas by the apostles which means son of encouragement the one who always sees the best in others said no no let's give him another chance Interestingly, toward the end of Paul's life, he writes to the Colossians and he writes uh, to, in one of his other epistles, John Mark is with me. He's valuable to me. And something of the heart of Barnabas is now infused into the older Paul, which I find really nice. And it's one of the reasons why I think there's a lot to admire about Paul because who he was when he started out in his journey with Christ was not who he ended up being as he journeyed with Christ. And isn't that a great encouragement to those of us who see people who are obnoxious Christians? Are there any obnoxious Christians here today? <laughs> because the hope that we have is that as we the obnoxious of this world or the obnoxious of Christ's kingdom, travel and journey with him, something of his sweetness and his fragrance and his softness toward others is imbibed into us. I want to start looking at verse 4 and we see the, 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 the Barney that I've just described takes place in the first few verses of of this passage and I, I, I kind of want to just a, a, a kind of avoid, well, it, it occurs in the section before this. So we're going to kick off from verse 4 and I want to show you this because I want to make the case that Paul, obnoxious as he was when he started out, became probably the model planner. The one who could plan. I find this intriguing that Christ spent three and a bit years training disciples. And apart from Peter, 
and John, we know very little about what happened to the other surviving nine. And if you count Matthias who replaced Judas, the other ten. We know very little biblically about what happened to them. We can conjecture what happened. But we know this, that Christ had commissioned them to go to all the nations to take the gospel to all ethnos, all people. And yet we see them huddle in Jerusalem way too long and we see the, t- the countdown clock is ticking because Christ said that, boys, you've got a generation. This generation will not pass away until Matthew 24, what is it, verse 14 or verse 10. This gospel shall be preached in all the world. Then the end of the old covenant shall end. And yet we see by Acts chapter 6 and 7, they're still in Jerusalem. And their progress was woefully slow. <laughs> And this, this tells me something about the plan of God, which I hope to draw out from the life of Paul as well. That even when those people on whom you are depending for your plan to be effective let you down, you can, what's that word we use through COVID? Pivot. You can make an adjustment. So I hope to show you that in looking at the life of Paul now, And I hope to show you that we should make plans. My prayer about the church here for decades, generations and generations to come, I hope that we begin to see that by a part of planning is vision casting, that we can set in train a chain of events that God by his grace will help us to realise It says here in verse 4, and they went on their way. This is Paul. Through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So we see Paul has picked up Timothy. Timothy's now a part of his team, traveling with him, and almost certainly Titus as well. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, And they increased in numbers daily. So here's what I just want to point out. And in a moment I'll show you a map so that this becomes perhaps clearer to you. The Apostle Paul, from the moment he was commissioned by Christ on the road to Damascus, was commissioned that one day you'll stand before the king You'll stand before governors. You'll stand before people of influence. So he, he had that word from Christ directly the moment, the minute he was being saved. And with that in mind, when he went and spent the next few years learning the ways of God, being informed from the other apostles about Christ, listening to them tell him about Christ, And then spending time in prayer himself where he says he received, this is in Galatians chapter 1, he received direct revelation from Christ to supplement what he'd heard from the other disciples. And he spent all this time preparing so he knew his mission. His mission was really clear. He had plans to head straight north. So if I was to do the air map, but I'll show you a proper map in a moment. 
that here's Jerusalem. This is where he got the letter. He's going to Damascus, north. He ends up being planted in a church just over, I'll work back, over here in, in Antioch. And that's where he and Barnabas are planted. That becomes Paul's church. And as you read through Acts, you'll see all of the journeys that Paul did. He always hubs back to Antioch. That was his home. That was his church. It wasn't too far away from where he grew up, which was Tarsus. All right, so we've got Paul planted in this church. But here, I want, I want you to see this. From Antioch, they go over to Cyprus, where Barnabas was, was from, where he'd made that his home. And then Paul, they come back to Antioch. And then they head north into Galatia. And Paul's thing is, I'm just going to keep going north. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just going to take the gospel north. No one's been, I know none of the other disciples who are wholly huddling in Jerusalem haven't gone there because they haven't done anything. I'm going north. So that was his intention. And we'll call that Asia or technically Asia Minor. So the Apostle Paul had plans to navigate north. I mean, why not? He's told to take the gospel where the gospel had not been preached. He was, he, so he knew that this was a good plan. All right, so let, let's follow. Let's see how the plan unfolds. Verse 7, or verse 6, sorry. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. He gets to Galatia, which is part of today, modern Turkey, and the, and the Holy Spirit says, okay, that's it, Paul. That's it. Just, just wait there. So we see in verse 7, when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. All right, so here's, here's hopefully I'll show you the map in a moment. But, so they've gone Galatia, and the Holy Spirit says, no further, Paul. So now he goes west, this way, thinking he can go that way and then that way. And this happens. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So he's got his team. And somehow, and this is a point I would like to elaborate on, but for the sake of time I won't. Somehow Paul knew that the Spirit of Jesus was saying no, which would have been possibly quite a bit confusing to him because don't you want the people of this region, Bithynia, to come to know Christ? Interestingly, later on, we, we read in First and Second Peter that perhaps unbeknownst to Paul, Peter was already up there because his epistles is written to those churches in that region. Interestingly. So now what does Paul do? So passing by Mysia. So we have, so now Paul's headed west. He's gone almost right over to the coast of what we call Turkey. He's come to the seaport of Troas. Surrounding Troas is this is Mysia. So he's, he's, at, he's at the seaport there at Troas. He's going, now what do we do? We, what do, we, where do we go? 
and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, if you know anything about where Macedonia is and where Troas is, you know there is a big batch of water in between them. So Paul has to do something about this. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. It's just a little thing you may not have noticed. Called who? You can help me out here. Called who? Are you awake? Called who? Us. Who's the us? Luke is now writing this. Is that what you were going to say, Denise? No, just the other people. The other people. But Luke is writing Acts. And now he's saying us. Us. So Luke is now with Paul. And this is, this is what scholars call the beginning of the we passages in Acts. We went here. So on. All right. You'll be pleased to see, here's an actual map. Which is probably not as detailed as my air map. But you got the idea. So you see Galatia. There's Asia Minor where Paul wanted to go. He's now headed this way, sort of north west northwest over to Troas and that's where he is and there you see Macedonia it's on the other side of that stretch of water which I believe is the Aegean and so he's going to go from Troas to where that that uh, mark of uh, Philippi is which was uh, the, the seaport of Neapolis and that's where he's going now this was not his intention his plan was to do that but the Lord revealed to him Paul no go this way go go this way go to Philippi head west all right so here's the question how was the apostle Paul led by the Holy Spirit it seems to me that he had set a plan and he seems like the kind of guy that was going to, my plan's going to happen no matter what. But he is sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit that he recognises, I have to adjust my plan. I have to adjust my plan. So Paul had actually... And we have no record of him telling Dr. Luke and Titus and Timothy this plan. He may have, but Paul actually had a grand plan. And the grand plan sounded something like this. Well, if we're going to Macedonia, we might as well go to Spain. Now, let me, let me just run you back that, that map. And can I... Can I just point out where Spain is on this map? It's over about here. 
is the, basically the, the furthest westernmost point of the Roman Empire. Now there's a whole lot of reasons why this is intriguing, which I won't go into, but it, it, it would mark that the gospel has gone to the furthest point. So Paul had made a grand plan to go to Spain. Let me point this out to you, and then I want to point something about where this occurs in the epistles that he wrote. This is Romans chapter 15, verse 28. When, he wrote, so he's writing this to the Romans. He has, because to get to Spain, you're going to go through Italy. Now, at least we had Italy on the map. At least we could see where that was. But his, his intention was, I'm going to go way past Italy. I'm going to go to Spain. All right. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. Now he's writing to the Romans, a church he'd never been to, a church that he was not familiar with. He'd never actually been, as far as we can tell, he'd never actually been to Rome. So this was his plan. Pretty good plan. Wants to take the gospel around the world, the then known world. He wants to take it as far as Spain. Pretty good plan. But what happened? He was imprisoned. Suddenly his plan is looking a bit bleak because he's now in prison. In fact, as we follow the story of Acts, we follow the story like this, that he, cut, he, does, he said he, wants, he just told the Romans, he wants to come back and give the, the believers in Jerusalem the collection that he's raising for their support. So he does that. So we know here on my air map, he comes to Jerusalem. Here he is. And he says, and then I'm going to leave there and I'm going to come via Rome. Then I'm going to go all the way over to Spain. That's his plan. But when he comes back into Jerusalem, you remember what happened? There was a riot. And the riot led to him becoming a captive of the Roman government. And that captivity led to him being imprisoned until they could figure out what he'd done wrong and what they should do with him. Two questions they could not answer. They couldn't, for the next three years or so, they couldn't figure out what he'd actually done wrong and why they were holding him captive. It sounds weird. But... Paul then does something that was completely confusing to them, having no charges against him, having no outcome forecast on what, was, what we were to do with him. He knows this. Remember the road to Damascus? You will stand before the king. Who is the king? Caesar. Paul then says this as they were contemplating, look, let's just let him go. We have no clue what he's done wrong. So Paul does this, I appeal to Caesar. And they go, yeah, all right then. To Caesar you shall go. So now Paul is not only going to make his way to Rome as he intended, he's going there at the expense of the Roman government as their captive. He gets to Rome eventually we read in Acts chapter 28 and he writes to his beloved Ephesian church and this is what he writes them. now what would you write 
What would you write if you were captive, held in manacles, about to appear before the most brutal, ruthless man probably in history up until that point? What would you ask for prayer for? This is what he told the Ephesians, praying at all times in the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Hmm. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Who is he about to stand before? Caesar. Hear his prayer request? Would that have been your prayer request? Help me to be fearless and bold before the most brutal dictator the world has ever seen. I wonder if you, if, if you had seen my prayer request in that moment, it might have sounded like this. Help, get me out of here. Someone, <laughs> pray that I'm released. But that wasn't Paul's. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What? Something about Paul's plan mixing with God's plan for his life enabled Paul to see that circumstances weren't the voice of God. The Spirit of God and the Word of God were the voice of God to him. Paul sought prayer for his mission to preach the gospel. That was what he asked for prayer for. Not for his well-being, not for his comfort, not for any of that. Later he would write to Timothy when he was still in prison because we know his imprisonment lasted for about three years in Rome, at least three years. That he says, bring, when you come to me from Ephesus, bring my cloak, which tells me he was cold. But Paul's worldview, his understanding of God would have been formed by this psalm of David, Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. I think faithfulness is easy when everything's going well. But for Paul, perhaps the richness of this psalm had informed the way he viewed God and his circumstances. The next verse says this. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And he will act. And yes, he will. And yes, he does. I think those verses are for someone here today. Paul had made a plan. It was a good plan. Christ said, no, we're going to adjust it. Paul said, how? No answer. Gets a dream acts on the dream. He realises this is the Holy Spirit's leading. He shares his plan. I want to go to Spain. I want to take the gospel through Rome all the way to Spain, all the way over to the far western part of the, of the empire. But circumstances changed. Hmm. You see, circumstances may seem to hinder the realisation of your plans, our plans as a church like stupid pesky COVID <laughs> who's over it am I the only one I must be There's the only one over it <sighs> and that psalm 
I know must have informed the way Paul regarded making plans and trusting God. How do I know that? Because he basically repeats it to the Philippians when he says this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Sometimes we stress so much about I need to find the will of God. I'm going to go away on a mountaintop and fast 40 days until God shows me his will for my life. Not that anyone's ever said that to me. Not that anyone's ever meant that if they have said it to me. But sometimes the intensity that, a, that someone sincerely who really, really wants to serve God and please God will say, I really want to know what God's will for my life is, leads them to not recognize that verse. Just keep walking with Jesus. It's God who works in you, both to want to do his will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. I throw the next verse in for free because I think this next verse adds to it. It's for someone. It's not, a, it's not for everyone, but it is for someone here today. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And you know who you are. <laughs> so here's what I see about Paul and how he planned. There's, there's a lot of principles to take here about, about this. Paul turned an intention into a plan of action. His intention was to take the gospel to people who'd never heard it, to plant churches where there'd never been a church planted. And he actually just took action to make it happen. That's the first thing. So take action. The second thing, everywhere he went, as I was reminded this the other day when I we went for a walk and it was, it was, you know, I got back and I was a bit sweaty and I only walked about four k's or something, got back and I thought, the Apostle Paul walked everywhere. And I'm not 4Ks, 400Ks. Like, he walked to towns. Huh. So create achievable time, an achievable time frame for each component and step of the plan. Huh. So if I want to see preachers raised up in this church, which I do, over the course of this year, which I do, I've got to create achievable action steps to make that happen, which I'm going to do. Thirdly, Paul had what I call a noble why. He knew the why behind the what. He knew the why. Why am I doing this? He knew the why. And his why was a part of what I've noticed are always the best plans that can ever be made. They are plans that help and bless other people. They are the best plans. Fourthly, Paul was obviously praying. He was obviously asking God, okay, God, show me what, what, what do I do. How do I, how do I move? I've heard people say, oh, if you're a Christian, you don't need to do that. I, I just think they're wrong. We should do that. We should show our dependency upon God by praying to him and asking him to lead us and to guide us and to help us to take that next step with him. Prayerfully commit your life to the Lord, then your plans to him. See the order. 
And we see this in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. And Proverbs chapter 16 verse 3, which says, Commit your work to the Lord. So that's you. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The fifth thing we should do in making plans is make God his glory, his will, his word, his ways, your true north in navigating your plans. Every day, make that your true north. God, I want to do, I want to do your will. I want to do it your way. I want to be walking with you, not running ahead of you or lagging behind. Make God, his glory, his will, his word, his ways, your true north. You know, in the old days when they didn't have a compass, the, the sea mariners would, would take the north star and they would always know where north was. Make God that north star of your life. So this is how you can make best plans. Here it is. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Verse 34, what a great planning verse this one is. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's all we have time for tonight. If you'd like to obtain a CD copy or a premium download of tonight's discussion, then please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select The Best Series Part 1, The Best Plan, from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, the Apostle Paul made grand plans, took steps to action them, but was still responsive to the Holy Spirit and made adjustments as needed. There's some valuable insight for us right there. More from Dr. Corbett next week with more of The Best Series. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.